Now, let us turn to the book of Joshua this morning as we kick off, as we enter into this book of Joshua as Day kicked us off last week. Joshua is the true account of the faithfulness of God to his promises despite the faithlessness of God's people. Let's pray and ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, we come before you and we ask indeed that you would pour out your spirit, your spirit to illumine our hearts and our minds to your word, that you would attend the word preached by your spirit to change us, to bring us into conformity with your son and joyful obedience in your word to experience and enter in to the fullness of the promises that have been accomplished through Jesus Christ. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. As we come to the book of Joshua, it's a fascinating book, particularly the way that it is dealt with. Because when we come to the book of Joshua, the error of the liberals in approaching Joshua is that their assessment is that the book of Joshua is just tales of adventure made up long after these events actually occurred. And the error of the fundamentalists and the error of the evangelicals is to allegorize the book of Joshua and to turn the book of Joshua into a story about the power of God to accomplish your pursuits. In the office when we were discussing about going into this series, I mentioned today that I was going to go into the book of Joshua, and he said, ah, this is going to be great. It's the most American book in the Bible. And I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, you know, you know, America, you know, obtain the American dream, conquer your Jericho, seize your promised land. Americans love the book of Joshua. And he is right in his critique. Because Joshua is frequently taught that this is a book and this is a story that is about you and how God helps you do you. So here are some real sermon titles. Be strong and courageous because God fights for you. Conquering your Canaan. Crossing into the abundant life. How to lead with God on your side. And to ask questions such as this. Well, what is your Jericho? I want you to think about what is your Jericho? What is the land of promise that you need to seize? Where in your life right now do you need to be strong and courageous? What promised land is God just waiting for you to go out and to conquer with with his help? But the book of Joshua is not about you becoming, you know, the Christian incredible Hulk, you know, who is strong and courageous, that you can do whatever you set your mind to, and whatever that is, God can help. Because that is the picture of God in American Christianity. He's your little helper. That if you're, you know, if you're not tall enough, he's there to give you a boost, if you're not strong enough, he's there to spot you and, and get, you, you know, get the full lift. If you're not smart enough, God's the one who's going to give you the secret, the secret message so that you can do you. But the problem here is that not only does such an approach have absolutely nothing to do with the message of Joshua or the message of the Bible, but if your orientation to Christianity is that God exists to advance your plans, and God exists to advance your version of the American dream. Not only does that have nothing to do with the message of the Bible, 
but also you forfeit the promise that God has for you. You forfeit the blessedness that God has for you. You forfeit it, like the soccer team that goes to the wrong soccer field and doesn't even show up for the game. You forfeit it, like being given an enormous inheritance, but refusing to read the will. You forfeit it. So then what is the message of Joshua? Here's how the book begins. Joshua, the story begins like this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Here is the point of the book of Joshua. It is a calling for us as the people of God to be strong and courageous, to enter the promises of God. To be strong and courageous, not in and of itself, but to be strong and courageous to enter the promises of God. Because the way that American Christianity approaches their faith in God, it goes like this. We say, you know what, I've just been really trying to figure out who I am. I've been really trying to figure out what I'm doing in the world. You know, and and how can God be a part of that? And what the book of Joshua forces us to ask the question is this. Not what am I doing in the world? But what is God doing in the world, and how must I be a part of it? So here is the point. It's to be strong and courageous to enter into the promises of God. Let's begin to unpack this a little bit. What are these promises that Joshua and indeed all of Scripture refers to, to entering into the promises of God? Well, we begin to see it here in verse 3 and verse 6. Do you... God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over the Jordan, you and all those people, into the land that I am giving to them. This is the land of promise to the people of Israel. And every place that I have 
and every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to give to their fathers. Now, what is this land? Well, if you recall, God made a promise to Abraham that he would lead him from the land of Ur and Iraq and over to the land of Palestine, and there he would have that. And God gave several promises to Moses. And now when you look at this verse in terms of the land that was promised to him, here is what this looks like. Verse 4 tells us, They were to receive the land from the wilderness, and this is Lebanon, as far as the great river, which is the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the great sea, towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. What is that territory? It is this. All right, what countries does that currently include? Shout them out. Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Israel, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, and possibly even Kuwait. And you just had a snapshot of current geopolitical problems. Right? And so God says to his, to commands Joseph, he says, you know, we want you to enter the promise. And everywhere that you're going to go, the land that I promised to your forebears, I'm going to give it to you. But this idea of entering into the promises of God, it's a difficult concept to grasp because it's the promises of God are this ideal that lays ahead of you, but we don't quite get a hold of it. I mean, you consider this for Abraham. Abraham was given these promises, and he never really fully experienced them in his life, only in part. But Abraham was promised that he would become a great nation. What that means is that he and his people, that they would have security. He promises them that their name would be great, that they would have an unshakable identity. And he promises them that he would, they would inherit a land, and the promise of land means that they would have stability and they would have prosperity. But for the people of God up until this point, these promises have been far off. For Abraham, it was hundreds of years later that they begin to become a reality. And they passed on to his son Isaac, and they passed on to Jacob, and Jacob was hoping for them to become a reality. Then he went down into Egypt, and his people stayed there for generations in Egypt, and then you know, through Joseph, and then God raised up Moses, and Moses led the people of Israel out in the Exodus with the plagues upon Pharaoh, the parting of the Red Sea, the people of God go through on dry ground, the army of Pharaoh is swallowed up, he brings them to Mount Sinai, he gives them the Ten Commandments, and they were to proceed directly to the Promised Land. But instead, they start worshiping other gods, and God says to them, none of you that are currently alive will enter the promised land. So what happens is that for the next 38 years after this, the people of God are wandering in the Arabian Peninsula, waiting for the promises to become a reality. And every day they are waking up and they are daily going out and collecting manna, some sort of bread substance to eat. They are getting quail periodically to cook and to eat. They are traversing from water hole to water hole. And they are listening to their parents and their religious leaders say to them, We are on our way to the promised land. We are on our way to the promised land. And then they wake up the next day and they step out of their tent into another patch of sand, into another day of collecting manna and quail and walking more and more sand all around them. But the promised land is coming. So it's difficult for us to grasp what does it mean for us to enter into the promises of God. But you consider that Joshua's and the nation of Israel's situation has many similarities to us. 
for Joshua and the people of God at this point, already the promise had been fulfilled that they were formed as a nation. Already they had a name and an unshakable identity. Already the presence of God is dwelling in their midst. But they have not yet received the promises in full. They have not yet received the land inheritance. They have not yet received the security and stability that comes with that or the prosperity. They have not yet received a permanent place for them to be a light to the nations. And if you are here today and you are a Christian, what this means is that already some of the promises of God are being affected and actuated in your life. Already you are given a new name as a Christian. Already, you have an unshakable identity. Already, the penalty for your sins has been satisfied and there is forgiveness. Already, the power of sin is broken, but it is not yet eradicated. Already, you have the indwelling spirit in your life, but you do not yet have the physical presence of God face to face. You do not yet have the full adoption as children of God. You do not yet have the redemption of our bodies. You do not yet have the sting of death in this world being eradicated. So the promises of God, they lie ahead, but they are already here. And being already here, we begin to experience them. But there is a fuller promise and the fullness of God promise, which is before us, that is guaranteed, that is already accomplished, that is there before us. And the encouragement that God gives to us through this passage is the same that he gives to Joshua and the people of God. And it is this, be strong and courageous to enter the fullness of the promises of God. Well, how do we do that? Well, as he shows us here, is that the God who calls us on this journey and the God who gives us these promises to journey towards is the one who also equips and, power, and empowers us for this journey. So look how he does so for Joshua, how he equips him in particular with the word of God. He says this to Joshua. Joshua, only be strong and courageous being careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. What's happening here? Joshua has been appointed as the leader of God's people. And the way that he was to live in this world, and the way that he was to lead in this world, is a lot like our situation. Is that he was to live by obedience to the written word of God. He was to live and to lead by obedience to the written word of God. He wasn't to live hoping for some sort of special revelation, some sort of divine encounter that God would come down and tell him exactly what he was supposed to do. Day in and day out, Joshua was to live in obedience to the written word of God. What does that mean for us? Well, it's the same thing. That we are to know God's word, to read it, to study it, to memorize it to apply it, to turn neither to the right hand or or to the left. 
and lack of study results in lack of obedience. And Peter reminds us that the Word of God contains everything that pertains to life and godliness. It has all that we need. But as Joshua is to attend to the Word of God and to know it, there's some specific descriptions. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Is that he was to speak it. He was to discuss the Word of God. It was to be, he was supposed to be conversing about the Word of God in normal day-to-day conversations with his family, with his friends, with families, with his soldiers, with his advisors. So let me ask you, if you have Christian friends, do you discuss Scripture with them? Is Scripture actually a part of your conversation? Do you encourage one another with it? And if not, the question is, why not? There is no other source of life than the Word of God. There is nothing that can recover us from what Paul Tripp calls the claustrophobic confines of our own self-defined little worlds. There is nothing that can recover us from the confines of our own little worlds except the Word of God. And Scripture calls us to speak the Word of God, not as a weapon to cut one another down, but to speak it as co-strugglers, as co-journeyers, as co-people who are participating, as people who are seeking to enter into the promises of God. We speak it to one another to encourage one another with the only hope that we have, which is God's Word. So we're to know it and to speak it. And he says, and you are to meditate upon it. You shall meditate on it day and night. Meditate means beyond just have knowledge of it, beyond just talking about it, but that we are to be people who are thinking on the Word of God, who are applying the Word of God, who are concluding things from the Word of God, who are thinking about, okay, how does this apply in this situation? I'm dealing with this challenge. What if God's Word instructs me, informs me how I should react in this situation? We live in an age of superficiality. We live in an age of Christian superficiality and of Christian spoon-feeding. And indeed, most Christians today think that all that is needed for the Christian life is maybe to attend church maybe once or twice a month, maybe give some passing attention to the Word of God as it is preached, have a couple Christian friends, and then go about your business as usual. James Boyce, reflecting on this, says, This is why Christians make so little difference in our society. If you're wondering why Christians can spend millions and billions of dollars in advertisements and in all kinds of ministries and have such a little effect in our society, Boyce says it is this. This is why Christians make so little difference in our society. They think like the world, and as a result, they act like the world. Their conduct, and the con- their conduct and the conduct of pagans, apart from the grosser sins, is indistinguishable. What is missing? The missing element is deep, genuine, and persistent meditation on the Word of God. It is only as the Word of God gets into our minds and begins to become part of our normal day-to-day reasoning and thinking that we begin to act differently and thereby make a difference in this world. What's Joshua calling us to? 
to know God's Word, to speak God's Word, to meditate on God's Word, and above all else, to do God's Word and to obey it entirely. Be sure to do according to all that is written. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. Be sure that you do according to all that is written here. Now, for those who in your head said yes and amen to the quote from James Boyce, the challenge for us would be this, is that we know enough of the Word of God that our lives should look way more different than they do. And it is not that we don't know what is right, and possibly not that we don't know what the Word of God says, is that we do not put into practice those things that even which we know. And so James would remind us, don't just simply be hearers of the law, but be doers of it. To know it, to speak it, to meditate on it, and above all, to do it. Now, here is the great irony of this. The irony is that Americans, and we are so devoted to being prosperous and successful, and God actually says, you are to do this that you may have success wherever you go. Be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. According to the Word of God, the secret of success is to know the Word of God, to speak the Word of God, to meditate on the Word of God, to do it. There is no substitute for full obedience. And as Joshua begins to take this charge, there is only one thing that will make Joshua different than every other tribal military leader in the world. There's only one thing that will keep the people of God from evil and set them apart unto the Lord. There's only one thing that will keep you centered on Jesus Christ and not compromised with this world. And it is not saying, well, I know myself. I mean, let's be honest, I am smarter than most other people. I mean, I know myself, I'm wiser, I work harder. At the least, I'm less of an idiot than other people that I see in my day-to-day activity. It's not that. Is that the only thing that is going to keep Joshua and the people of God and you devoted unto the Lord is that you know God's word, you speak God's word, you meditate on God's word, and that you do God's word. Is that the people of God must be people of the word of God. Now, it's the middle of February. Some of you started reading your Bible in January. If you fell off, today is a great day to start. And if you've never done that before, we would love to help you. As far as I'm aware, Ryan and I have both been preaching on this. Day has been talking about this. No one has come and talked to us and said, hey, how can, I, how can I begin to do this? Hopefully that means all of you are deeply devoted to reading God's Word every day and you're getting meaningful applications out of it in your life. I hope that's the case. If it's not, we would love to talk with you and love to help you with this. What's the encouragement? is to be strong and courageous to enter into the promises of God. And the journey to do so comes through being equipped with the Word of God. It means this, know the Word of God. It means participate in Illumination's Bible memory program. It means to study the Word of God, to meditate on it, to speak it, to know God's Word. Why? For it alone is your guide to enter into the promises of God. It's like trying to you know, someone cooking or trying to cook a, a meal, and you say to them, and they say, well, the meal, it just didn't work out. And you say, did you read the recipe? I didn't think to do that. 
I saw how it was done before. But God provides his word to equip us so that it would infuse our lives and infuse our thinking so that we would make a difference in this world. And so God gives us not only his word, but he also equips us and he empowers us with his presence to enter into the promises of God. Joshua verse five, 1 verse 5. God says to Joshua, Joshua, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And he goes on to say, do not be frightened. Like, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And where is Joshua to lead the people of God? He is to lead them into entering into the promises of God. He is to lead them to experience and reach the fullness of the promises of God. And he is empowered to do so by the presence of God. The presence of God that goes before him, that defends him, that accompanies him so that he would be strong and courageous to enter into God's promises. You see, Joshua is leading the people at this moment, at this moment when the promises of God are about to be realized to a new degree of fullness. The book of Joshua is to the Old Testament what the book of Acts is to the New Testament. And similarly, just as God commanded Joshua to enter the promises of God, and God guaranteed his promises as he was, or God guaranteed his presence as he was strong and courageous to enter into these promises. So the Lord Jesus Christ, after securing our relationship with God through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, so Jesus commands his disciples and commands his followers as they are about to embark on the mission of God, as they are about to embark into a new era of the fullness of God's promises becoming a reality. And God commands them as they are about to enter into the fuller expression of God's promises. He commands them and he guarantees his presence with them. And he says to them this, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, being equipped with the word of God. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Is that as the people of God, we are charged to continue to seek the fullness of the promises of God. And as we go forward in them, being strong and courageous to do so, he equips us with his word and he guarantees his presence. It's the continuing presence of God that makes us strong and courageous. It's his presence that encourages us to know his word and to obey his word. In fact, Scripture directly applies the promise to Joshua to every individual Christian. And he applies it in an area of our lives that has a stranglehold on so, many, so much of us, which is our heart's love for money and the stranglehold that money puts on us. Indeed, Hebrews 13.5 says this. The writer of Hebrews says, Keep your life free from the love of money. 
and be content with what you had have. Why? Because of Joshua. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's as the people of God that we can say, I can be bold and courageous in being obedient to the word of God. I can be bold and courageous in entering into the promises of God because his presence goes with me and he will never leave me or forsake me. And it means that because the presence of God is with me, that no matter what I face in this life, that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And you will not abandon me, and you will not leave me, and you will not forsake me. What difference does the presence of God make? It is his presence that empowers you to be strong and courageous to enter into the promises of God without fear and without being dismayed. Indeed, three times God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous, and actually a fourth time at the end of chapter 1. Three times he says to Joshua, Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Joshua, only be strong and very courageous. And when God finishes speaking to Joshua, he says to Joshua, Joshua, I have now commanded you. (laughs) Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. Wherever you go, why does God tell Joshua three times, be strong and courageous? Because Joshua had lots of reasons to be frightened and dismayed. He tells him to be strong and courageous to enter the promises of God because he was about to be leading a fickle people. You see, it was Joshua who was with Moses when the people of God were led out of Egypt. It was Joshua, one of the only ones, who was taken with Moses up onto Mount Sinai when the law of God was given. And it was Joshua who came down the mountain in the midst of the cloud with the law as Moses has the law of God in his hands. And he walks out to the people of God and what have they done? They've erected a golden calf, having just been delivered out of Egypt. And so he has to be strong and courageous as he leads the fickle people. He has to be strong and courageous to hold to God's promises when all others see defeat. You see, it was Joshua and his companion Caleb who believed God's promises when the supermajority of people saw defeat. Because there were 12 spies that were sent out, and Joshua and Caleb were the only two who held on to the promises of God. And everybody else said, no, the circumstances are too great. The circumstances that I see with my own eyes are too significant. The promises of God cannot overcome the might of people that stands before us. And it is a calling to us to be strong and courageous when other people think that you are foolish to believe that the promises of God are actually true. For Joshua, it was a calling to be strong and courageous when the people of God rebel against their leader. It's a calling for you to be strong and courageous when your children or your followers are impatient with God's timing. 
It's a calling to be strong and courageous and to be not dismayed in the face of sin's consequences. For Joshua has just spent the last 38 years wandering in the desert. And here today, as we are a people who already have some of the promises of God, but who we do not yet have the fullnesses of God's promises in our lives and in this world, what it means is this. It means it takes strength and courage to enter into the promises of God and believe Him when your circumstances seem like He is absent. It takes strength and courage to enter the promises of God and to pursue them when your classmates and your coworkers and your teachers tell you that you are a fool for living according to Scripture. It takes strength and courage to honor God as your provider with giving when you get a paycheck and you think, my hand is the hand that has provided this. It takes strength and courage to devote yourself to knowing God's word when you are pressured to devote yourself to knowing the news or the latest health information or following various blogs or news entertainment. It takes strength and courage to enter into the promises of God and and to act with sexual purity and integrity when you look around and you say, but everyone else is doing it. And God comes to his people and he says to Joshua, as he continues to say to us, be strong and courageous. But be not strong and courageous in your own strength. Be not strong and courageous for the lusts of your heart. Be not strong and courageous in your own opinions. But be strong and courageous because God is faithful to his promises. And here is how this works out in our life. The Apostle Paul knew it well. Here's how Paul works this out. He says, whatever gain I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. It is for his sake that I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now listen as he talks about the fullness of God's promises. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He is already beginning to experience the promises, but look at what he says yet. Not that I have already obtained this. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But day in and day out, I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. What this means, friends, is that as we press on to enter the promises of God, as we seek to be strong and courageous to, pr- pr- to pursue the fullness of God's promises, the encouragement that this gives me 
and the day in and the day out struggles of my life and the struggles that I have to pursue the promises of God is that I can pause in this moment and I can, I can pause in this moment and I can look at my life and I can say, you know what? I'm not what I could be and I'm not what I should be. But by the grace of God, I'm not what I used to be. And so in this moment, may he equip you with his word. And may we not depart from it to the right or to the left. May his presence guide, defend, and go before you. And the Lord Jesus himself will carry you into the land of promise. Only be strong and very courageous to enter the promises of God. Let's pray together. Father, my faithless eyes look at this world. My faithless eyes look at this world. And it looks at my life, and I see many reasons to be frightened and dismayed. However, you, Father, from generation to generation are true and unchanging. You, Father, are true to your promises. And not one word of your promises will ever fail. So, Father... I pray for your people gathered here this day that we would be a people equipped by your word, a people who are attended by your presence, and that we would be a people who are strong and very courageous to enter into the fullness of your promises. Is in the powerful name of Jesus, the one who has gone before us, who has defeated sin, death, and the devil, and who comes with us, that we pray in his name. Amen.